actually for me in the role I'm in now, it's those just incremental gains. It's, okay, how do you just shift the dial a little bit? How do you look at what you've been doing before and then propel it in a different direction and be able to pivot quickly and come back? And I think to have the support of your peers to be able to fail fast, learn and move on is really important. Hello and welcome to season 10 of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's completely free. In today's episode, episode 149, we are talking leadership, innovation and slippers with Katie Baker. Katie brings 23 years of expertise in marketing, specializing in brand strategy, product management, customer experience and retail activation. Currently, as the Managing Director of the PLB Group, Katie leads the evolution of the business, ensuring a consumer-centric approach to driving brand loyalty. In this episode, you will learn specifically how to innovate in the face of resistance, what to do when stepping into a new senior leadership role, and what not to do when stepping into a new role. You'll also come away knowing how to build meaningful connections across the entire organisation and why they are so important, and the pros and cons of buying everyone's slippers to wear in the office, plus lots, lots more. That's enough of an introduction though, so let's dive right in and please enjoy my conversation with Katie Baker. Katie, can you please start off by telling us your first memorable leadership experience? It could be good or bad, and it's an experience in the workplace and how that has gone on to impact and inform how you operate as a leader. Okay, I've, well, I'm lucky enough to have had some really incredible leaders in my career, some not so incredible, but I think the most shaping for my career was with my chairman at the first agency I ever worked with. He's not with us anymore, the late Brian Whitman. Yeah, he had long grey hair that he wore in a ponytail, drove a motorbike, worked with his feet up on the desk, normally smoking a cigarette. So completely different to any of the leadership roles that I've been working with since then. But I joined as an account manager back in 2004. And he promoted me to CEO literally four years later. He didn't care about how long these things take or that I was a young girl that was a bit wet behind the ears. He just rewarded me for my hard work and my passion and he trusted me with his business. So I think just having that real confidence in what he thought about me, you know, he didn't conform, he was unorthodox, but there was no hidden agenda and he empowered me to just be me um, no airs and graces um, and I promised myself that I'd always strive to make everyone that worked with me for me in my team feel like he made me feel like there was like nothing that I couldn't do and I didn't have to pretend to be able to progress I could just be little old Katie Baker or Simmons as I was at the time. (laughs) Wow so what were some of the specific things that you took from him that you tried to replicate in your own way then? I think just doing things a little bit differently. 
you know, within business, not so much in, in the agency world, I think, because you've got a little bit more flexibility. But my very first job was at, at Canon and being at Samsung since then, there's lots of conformity and you have to behave in a certain way um, that it's expected. But he just had his own twist with things and he would just do what felt right. I think he trusted his gut instinct more than necessarily sort of facts and figures. And I've, I've always followed that. Even if I haven't meant to, I've sort of naturally taken that same role. So have you found, have there been times where you have had to fight in inverted commas to do things differently or you've tried to do something differently, come up against resistance or it's felt particularly risky for you, particularly in some of the big businesses you've worked for like Canon and Samsung? And if so, how did you find sort of comfort to do that? Because a lot of people wouldn't, right? Because they don't want to stick their head above the parapet, especially in a big organisation for fear that that or it might affect my promotion prospects. So what did that look like for you and how did you navigate it? I think there was two ways, really. One was I would find people in the business that I could see as being a little bit more like-minded to me and I would befriend them and and get their advice on that. So I'd sort of go go around the business and pinpoint and say, yeah, okay, I can see that you're trying to push boundaries, you're trying to go in a bit of a different direction and start to create relationships with those guys. And then I managed to carve out a role for myself in the innovation team, which was all about doing things differently. So actually from that kind of standard route through the normal sort of product categories to work in the um, innovation team and to lead that meant that I had a little bit more creative freedom to be able to do things my way. But I did find it a challenge. I mean, obviously not too much of a challenge because I was at Samsung for nearly six years and, and I loved it, but it was the speed of, of shifting the direction that I struggled with. It just, it wasn't there. Obviously it's a massive, massive beast to try and steer and just felt like there was a little bit of inertia and lots of people to bring on the journey with you, lots of boxes to tick, lots of red tape to cross. And that doesn't probably relate as closely to my values as it does working on the agency side where it is a little bit more spontaneous and a little bit more relaxed in that respect. Yeah. So I'm curious about this innovation piece as well. So someone who might find themselves in a similar situation to you were back then, maybe at at Samsung, where you are trying to do things a little bit differently, trying to be more innovative. And let's face it, so many companies these days might have innovation as one of their company values, but do all of their processes, procedures, ways of working, do they necessarily support innovation? I think in many cases, not right, because as many people say, you can't have innovation without failure. In many places, it doesn't feel safe for people to, to fail. So with that as the context, Katie, what would your sort of three top tips or bits of practical advice be if someone's trying to make their function, their team, even their business a little bit more innovative and push the boundaries in terms of not just doing things how we've always done them? I think to sort of overcome those the challenges from people that don't traditionally work that way, it is having some insight behind you to be able to sort of fuel those conversations. Uh, interesting. Like I said, I sort of lead with that gut instinct, but when you're trying to get people on board, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> so it is, I think, having as much insight as possible, whether that is industry-wide, whether that's specific to your, your company, to your clients, but to be really be able to sort of, I, I guess, propose solutions that make sense and that are grounded in some way. But it is a journey. And I think what 
I also did was was employ people within the team that had a mixture of of those different qualities. So people who were extremely innovative, but actually people who who weren't in the traditional term, but who potentially approached a task differently rather than having these these great ideas. I think there's lots of different nuances to innovation. So it's just getting as many of those different skill sets working with me as possible. And I think it's understanding what innovation means to you and to your business. And I found with Samsung, it could be more about the big wow moments and the experiential fixtures and and digital technology. But actually for me in the role I'm in now, it's those just incremental gains. It's, okay, how do you just shift the dial a little bit? How do you look at what you've been doing before and then propel it in a different direction and be able to pivot quickly and come back? And I think to have the support of your peers to be able to fail fast, learn and move on is really important. And that reviewing piece as well. I know, you know, your head's down, you're doing the work, you're just wanting to get that next goal achieved, but actually taking that time to review when things haven't worked, it's not a bad thing to fail as long as you learn from it. So I'd always make sure that that was a big priority as well. Yeah. And on that last piece in particular, how do you go about creating that environment and having that as a almost part of your current business culture? So now you're a what is the title MD or CEO? MD? It's MD, yeah. Yeah, so now you're MD. How do you make sure that's happening within the PLB group? We have different sort of work streams set up that are outside of a traditional client brief, for example, which forms obviously like 99% of what we do. But we'll have different work streams across the business where you're pulling in people with different backgrounds, different ideas, different ways of working and setting them together to drive that so we'll have like continuing improvement teams but but that will include people from every different department so you're getting a real 360 view and you could have somebody that's literally just joined as an administrator and you can have Dan as the CEO all part of that same team just looking at how we can do things differently we allocate a budget every year to that kind of test and trial pot Uh, interesting it's not massive, but it just means that we've got a little bit of money to play with to go, okay, well, let's just give that a go and see how that works. So let's tweak how we do that and we can put a little bit of budget behind it. I think that gives people confidence as well that they can see their ideas come to life and then they'll present back to the business at our company updates and say, okay, right, we went down this route, we tried this, this didn't work, but actually we learned X off the back of it and now we're going to implement why so the company then understands all of those different things that we're trialing as well and that just brings new ideas to the table. Katie, I want to go back to something you mentioned right at the start when you were talking about Brian Whitman. He said, I think, that he made you CEO after four years. Is that right? Yeah. So how old were you then? 31. That's showing my age now, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to date you on the podcast. <laughs> so what was that like, stepping into a CEO role at 31 years old? Like, What was going through your head and how did you adapt to that it was crazy I felt like I was a little girl playing businesswoman yeah very strange but really instrumental to to my career he wanted to take a a step back so he was still around in the business until he passed well I think I we think I think we had him there for probably about yeah, two years before he passed. So I just soaked up everything from him, what to do and what not to do. Because like I said, he was very, very unorthodox. It just felt like a dream, really. It didn't feel real. And I thought, okay, so 
you hear all these stories that you, you know, you come out of university and you, you'll be struggling for 20 years to get to a position like that. And actually it happened. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't probably to the level that it would be in this day and age in terms of the salary and the package and that kind of enormity. It was relative to where I was in the business, but that wasn't important to me. What was important was that, you know, he, he trusted me to run it. And, you know, we worked with all of the film studios. So, we had a contract with 20th Century Fox for eight years. So I was based up at the, the Fox offices for two, three days a week as our biggest client. So even to have exposure to, to that environment was incredible at that age. I was just, yes, yeah, so, so lucky. But being able to just put my stamp on it, I mean, looking back now, it was some you know, really silly things, but I bought everybody in the office slippers. I love that. So they all had a pair of slippers under their desk. And when they came in, everyone would wear slippers. <laughs> One, because I got a bit of OCD and it stopped the carpet getting dirty. Um, <laughs> I didn't tell them that. But also because I just felt like, and I probably, probably wouldn't do it now, but at the time it felt like it was like a home environment. We had a small little two-story office in Chiswick. There was only about 18, 19 of us in there, but it, that's what we created, our own little environment. And I think, you know, I've learned now that probably that doesn't necessarily bring the most professional, you know, feeling from yourself when you come into work and you want to be in your power heels or your power jacket or whatever. But yeah, yeah. it worked for us. It, it really did. And, and I'm still close to, there's sort of six of us that were there at the same time that we still meet up twice a year now without extended families, et cetera. That was just our little world. It, it did just feel like I was playing grown up, but I learned so much so quickly about how business operates and, and the pressures that come with it. So before we get back to a more serious question, I've got to ask you this. So how much of the slipper thing was about keeping the carpets clean and how much was about creating a, a, a homely feel in the team? If I'm honest, I reckon probably 50-50. Do you? Um, again, back to the slightly more serious questions, Katie. <laughs> If you were to go back and give three pieces of advice to yourself in that moment, just as you were stepping into that very first CEO role around about 31 years old, in terms of two things to absolutely make sure you do do and one thing not to do, what, what would they be? Because there'll be many people listening where that would be, the, be their world. So what, what advice would you give to yourself that people can use? First one, know your numbers. Right. I think at that point I was young and, you know, relatively inexperienced and I was reliant on our finance guy to kind of support me through that process. But it would be then when you'd go in and you'd have these really serious conversations with, you know, with banks and potential investors. And I was always pretty good with numbers, but it took me like quite a steep learning curve to be like, okay, gosh, they're really drilling down into detail here. I need to know how everything works. So I think always, always know your numbers. And that's actually prevalent as well from some jobs I've had since um, that initial role where, you you know, you get called in to speak to the, the CEO and it's like literally no notice coming now. Where are we? Bang, 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 bang. So I think whatever role that you're in, know your numbers. I think get the best team that you can around you don't be threatened by people get people in that are better than you which I have done my whole life because you've got that reliance then on their skill set and you're not going to be good at everything you never are um but to get the right people to support you I think absolutely and what not to do I for me it's always I've always been a bit nervous in in situations where you're with people that are, are more intelligent than you that are you know a, a higher grade of their role than you are and I think 
actually it's it's pretty irrelevant when you know situations it's the it's the person that you need to connect with not their role or what they're doing and I it took me a while to learn that I'd always just try and think oh what can I talk about that's going to sound intelligent and and now I've moved away from that and I can meet anybody at any level and I'll normally start a conversation with let's play would you rather you know or tell me on a scale of one to ten how happy are you really outside of work you know just to try and get to know people and not have that standard level of highbrow conversation which I just don't think is necessary so I would say that as well just be yourself so that's really interesting Katie is there something in particular that helped you sort of make that particular transition in terms of just I guess we're talking about being kind of authentic here aren't we kind of seeing past the role or the job title or the grade as you said but that can often be quite hard for people to do right especially if you're maybe working in a really large organization, maybe if you are really trying to climb the ladder, to, to use that phrase. Is, is there something in particular that helped you get over that that blocker? Because it is a blocker, really, right? Because when we're trying to pretend to be somebody else, say something smart, we often end up saying something that sounds a bit dumb or stupid, right? How many times have all of us probably left some sort of meeting, presentation, event, gone, gone, oh, why on earth did I say that? I sounded a right idiot. And then we beat herself up like what's so yeah so what's made the difference for you I don't know whether it's just getting that the recognition you need from outside of work really so using your friends and your family to make you feel you know worthy of who you are so actually it's not as important what I always used to try and do I thought if I, I can't actually compete on this level of conversation but actually I'm quite funny in this respect or actually I've got a really interesting story to tell on this side and it's just trying to sort of carve that little space for your voice and connect on a different level you know I've had people that we might not be the same in terms of talking about politics or about business but actually we you know we both surf or we both climb mountains or we've both done marathons and there's other connections that I think that you can start to build relationships on which I think are genuinely more important than the the business related ones. It's interesting as well that you've in the last couple of minutes used the word connection so many times it's something I'm spending a lot more time myself talking about and researching I've got a new keynote talk that I'm sharing and delivering kind of all over the country around why connection, I believe, is the true currency of leadership. What's your view on that? Clearly, it's important for you because you've used the word so many times, but how significant is connection with regards to effective leadership and business more broadly? Oh, it's so important. It it genuinely does mean everything to me in business and outside. And it is my favorite part of the job. Having those human relations as a focus of your management approach, you just you see a culture being created where the team feel like they're thriving. And it's all about that sort of being listened to. So what we did, and it's actually before I became MD, but when I first joined PLB, I initiated this as a way for me to get to know everybody and for people to feel like that they had a voice. And so we had a huddle where I would choose three people from the business to come and have a cup of tea with me every Tuesday morning. And it didn't matter if we talked about work, if we talked about home, we would just grab a cuppa and we'd spend 45 minutes just having a chat. And it just meant that people felt that they could talk to me. They might not necessarily have spoken to Dan about everything then because of his position, but I was supporting him, but also supporting them. So they used me as a bit of a sounding board. Sometimes it would be talking about ideas of how we could do things. Sometimes it would be a rant. Sometimes it'd be about, you know, someone went to a wedding at the weekend or went to a gig. And it's it was just a really nice way to, for me to get to know everybody, for departments to get to know each other that don't, you know, we're not a massive company, but you'd be surprised at how people still know so little about each other, even if they're sitting across the table because they're 
heads are down. So I wanted to create that opportunity because, you know, yeah, that human connection is so important to me. It genuinely is. It, seeing people in the office feeling motivated and you know productive and just informed about our vision and where we're going seeing that just that's what drives me do you still do that now you're the md yeah weekly huddle how long have you been doing it for well since i started so about three years wow and how many other than like you being on holiday maybe how many have you ever had to cancel or reschedule not many. And this is actually coming off the back of training that I've had with you, actually, Ben, <laughs> um, whereby the first thing that tends to go when you've got busy diaries is the, is the people conversations. It's your one-to-ones, it's your reviews. So, it, no, it is always a priority and the guys know that. So unless something comes in in terms of a client meeting, and that's more from their side than mine, it's quite sacrosanct in my diary. People know not to try and infiltrate that. But if there is something that's real business critical, then you might have somebody drop out and get pushed to the next week. But there will always be a minimum of four of us in there. And I genuinely, apart from holidays, we do try and do it. And we do it face to face as well. I make sure it's in a day that we're we're in the office so that I just think that sort of personal face to face connection is so important and has been so missed. Yeah, but virtual cup of tea is not quite the same, is it? Not quite. And we did do it through COVID. We did do it. But yeah, it definitely wasn't the same. Yeah, but I bet it probably had a huge impact during COVID actually. Yeah, it did. I think it's that age old thing where people were just struggling just with that, yeah, connection again. And, you know, you might be talking to clients all day, but actually that's quite tiring in itself to be always on. So to be able to go, oh, sit back, right, get yourself a cup of tea. Let's just, let's have a chat. You know, there's no stress around that. And so, yeah, it was an important part of of what we did. And we made sure that we we turned that into a face-to-face as soon as we were allowed to come back in the office. Yeah. I'm curious as well, Katie, to understand how easy or difficult is the wrong word, kind of building relationships is for you, how natural or deliberate it is. So would you describe yourself as more of an introvert or more of an extrovert? Extrovert, 100%. Okay. So it's probably quite natural for you. Your energy comes from being around other people. Yes, absolutely. I was having the conversation actually with my girlfriends at the weekend who said, oh, I love coming out and seeing you all, but I really get excited about going home and having a, a like a day to myself to recharge. Right. I'm not like that. I'm like, next day. Okay, what's next? <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, I think building relationships for me is brilliant. That's where where I, I thrive really. really. I love to understand people's different backgrounds and what makes them tick and yeah, just to have those things in common and and create a bit of a persona about yourself as well, which I think in business is quite hard. And like I said before, you sort of, even now with an MD position, you feel like oh, you have to act in a certain way just in terms of how people expect you to be here. But because they've known me for three years, I don't want that to be a conscious change. And luckily I've got their respect anyway from my previous position. So, you know, they know all the warts and all about me and I'm quite happy for them to to know that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think probably for everybody who's listening to this show as well to give people the counter side to this so I'm naturally much more of of an introvert despite kind of giving lots of big presentations regularly working with with big groups I I love doing that but afterwards I'll, I'll be tired so I'll need to sort of go and recharge just with maybe a friend over a quiet coffee or a quiet drink or some time by myself so especially the building connection with large groups I know it's really important but I have to sort of plan and structure my weeks and day either side of it so I've got sort of the time to recharge but also what what strikes me is 
it's just the very small things that can make a real difference here, isn't it? So I was with a good friend of mine that I've known since I was 16 when I joined the army, who now works in one of the engineering departments in, in Google, sort of building a lot of the data centers around the world. And I was with him, for, him and his team for a couple of days at the offices in St. Pancras in London. And every time we went for a different security gate, kind of in the staff, restaurants, receptionists, people by the lifts, John would stop and say hello, just 30 seconds to a minute, it's like a conversation with all of those people. But you could see it made such a difference to them, right? You could see the smile, you could see their state change. And I also noticed that very few people did that. And as I was going out one day, I, I joked and said, oh, John, you've still got the army commanding officer in you where you're doing that. You're constantly engaging with with all of the troops. And he's like, oh, it's just just being polite. And actually, like, they're the people that can help me out if I get stuck or if I've, if I've got a problem. So it doesn't have to take a lot, does it? It's just the the small gestures, right, that make the, the big difference, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think it is just that walking around in the morning and saying morning to everyone rather than coming straight up to your desk, you know, just wandering in. Hi, guys. How are you? Do you have a good evening? Everything OK? You know, just that's really important. And you can't necessarily do that in a massive organisation, but we've got that luxury here. So I think we will try and make sure that we we at least speak to everybody that's in the office when you're in and they're in, even if it's once just to say hello, make a cup of tea with them. Yeah, it makes a big difference. But you're right, it's, it's knowing how to engage with people who are introverts, if you're extrovert, and what that looks like as well. And just a, a different approaches with the teams, depending on, on what they find comfortable. Yeah, it's interesting as well what you say there, Katie, that you can't necessarily do that in a, in a really big organisation, which, of course, you probably can't do it with absolutely everybody kind of in the organisation, right? If you take some of the, the biggest, like what's the biggest in the UK, the NHS, probably Tesco, it it is impossible for the CEO of those organizations to engage with everybody, but you can still engage with lots of people and then word spreads by word of mouth, doesn't it? So you could take different routes into your office and make a point of occasionally walking through a different floor to get a cup of tea or a coffee. So you are bumping into different people as opposed to always same elevator walk through the same door walk past the same desks to get to your desk you, you can do something can't you and people appreciate it yeah and I think that that's what I've found in a couple of other places I've worked as well where there is probably a bit more of a fear culture in terms of some of the management whereby you wouldn't get spoken to probably for four days of the week but when you did get spoken to or you did get hello <laughs> Not this is an, not a positive thing, but you'd be like, oh god, okay, they've, they've acknowledged me today, and then it would make you feel good for the day. But actually, that's that's not the way that it should be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's having having the balance, and I think just making everybody feel worthwhile and appreciated, no matter what you know area they're in or what level that they're in within the business. Yeah, and you mentioned appreciation there, which I think is 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 really key. I think over the past three or four years, I've really started to focus on the difference between recognition and appreciation. And they're two of these words that so many of us use interchangeably, but there's quite an important difference to them. I think like recognition is linked to what you do. So you deliver a piece of work, you get some sort of reward for it, be it a kind of a thank you or a bonus or whatever it might be. You've got that entire scale, right? So that's linked to what you do. We've got appreciation, which is more the stuff we're talking about here, just 
recognizing someone for who they are, not just what what they do. And that is, according to some research, more powerful than than recognition, right? I think if people can go home at the end of the day feeling appreciated, that makes them want to come back the next day and do a good job. Yeah, 100% agree. So Katie, how far are you into your latest MD role? Two months. And based on all your experiences before up up to this point, what are some of the things that have surprised you stepping into this new role that maybe you weren't really ready for expecting in terms of leadership? I honestly don't know if anything has surprised me as much yet. I've sat opposite Dan, who is our previous MD, who's now CEO. We've been sat in this shared office together for a long time. So I've got to see all of his challenges that he has to go through when he was MD and we kind of spar about that and he'd say, oh, what do you think about this? And we would often sort of work through problems together. So I think I saw the majority of it. I know it's early days, famous last words, and I'm sure things will change and things will start to surprise me and come out of the woodwork. But at the moment, I feel like I was relatively well prepared in terms of seeing him live it and live it, living it kind of with him as well. Got you. So based on that then, Katie, what advice would you give to someone who is about to do what you've done where you step into the MD role and the former MD kind of steps up to CEO or some sort of group role? Because that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? For lots of reasons from both perspectives. So I'm sure there'll be situations where something was Dan's baby, so to speak, and he might have done it a different way or he struggles to let go. There might be times where you've got a different view of how to do things, but you don't want to disrupt the apple cart because he'd done it a certain way, although you love innovation. So you'd probably push that anyway. What did that process look like for the two of you to try and set you both up for success with this transition? Because knowing you both, I'm sure you've, you've, you would have thought about this in advance, right? Yeah, we did. One of the things that I think we've, we've planned most <laughs> since we've been here, and we were, we've been trying to get me to this position for a while, but there's been a few things happened this year, which has meant that we've had to keep deferring it and put it off. So we have talked about it and we have planned. And I think the key thing for us, and luckily we've got this and we've had this relationship for years and years, is complete honesty and transparency. And I think that we were both really clear with what the role should look like and how we felt that they could work together. There's the sort of the age-old idea about the visionary and the integrator, and Dan is absolutely the visionary in terms of those big ideas and that entrepreneurial salesman spirit. He's absolutely got that. And then I have to sort of navigate his brain, pull that out of his brain and go, well, okay, how can we implement? How do we integrate this into the business what will work will this work will this work so I think it's really clearly defining what those roles look like and then we have a session in every week and it's funny we call it a non-bant session because we sit opposite each other and it's just banter all day long which is brilliant environment to to work in we're really lucky but we have an hour on a Monday morning which is called non-bants where we can't have we can't talk about weekends we can't talk about anything we just have to go through like the the key important things in the business that we're gonna we're gonna achieve that week and we have that check-in which is great so yeah it's all about that clarity of roles and responsibility and expectations in terms of okay so for Dan to set for me what the KPIs are how often I'm going to be measured you know what he needs me to to deliver for him that with honesty and transparency I think is a, a winning combination. Yeah and did you in advance highlight or identify any places topics situations where 
there might be tension and plan ahead for those at all obviously you've mentioned clear roles and responsibilities but did you identify things where this might be a tension point and if this crops up what what will we do or not yeah no we did absolutely there's one and again because we kind of see ourselves as a bit of a a dysfunctional family um (laughs) with matching slippers (laughs) yeah (laughs) just slippers so it was sometimes a case where people would come to me I'd say no and then they'd go around the back to dad it's like mum said no let's go to dad yeah and it was that mentality that I said to him you've got like beforehand obviously he would he can do what he wants and he's like yep whatever but now I've said to him right Dan you need to be if they come to me the buck stops with me if they come to you you defer them back to me like that's how we're doing it um and that was our biggest sticking point that we saw could happen luckily it hasn't because we both stuck by what we've sort of agreed but yeah Dan's always like oh yeah go on yeah 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 go on go on whereas I'm a bit stricter so I'll go no <laughs> no that's not going to work or give me a bit more justification first so yeah it's that kind of process of people going to me saying no to Dan and then him pushing back and saying, no, whatever Katie said, I'm, I'm with her. And we agreed that, you know, whatever conversations he has across the business that, that he tells me about. So, again, we're making sure that there's complete transparency. There's not different conversations going on that might impact something else that we're working on. So we're just very, very open and, and clear about that. But, yeah, that was the one thing that we could foresee as potential sticking point. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. Really, really great. Katie, this is the first episode of the 10th season of the podcast, which I can't quite believe. But what that does mean is me and my team are mixing things up a little bit, playing around with the format. And I've got what I hope will be a new closing question tradition, which is, what would you say is the best mistake you've ever made? There's been plenty, but I would say the best one I made, and whether it was a mistake or not, if you class it as a mistake, but when I left Samsung, I joined a creative agency in London as MD, and it looked on paper like my dream job. I rushed into it because I'd been out of work for probably about three, four months. So I was like, okay, well, let's just let's just take it. COVID hit when I got there. So the stress and the pressure around it already were insane. And I was only actually there for, for seven weeks. It didn't last because of COVID. But I was up at quarter past four in the morning and I was getting home at quarter past 10 at night every single day. Wow. And I hadn't realised at the time that my baby girl was due. So she was going to be blessing us with her presence in the October and I'd started there literally in the February. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I'd have continued with that job, there is no way I could have been the mum that I wanted to be. There's no way that I could have... I think coped with with having to do both so for me that was rushing into it and not considering everything that went with it and all the stresses of going back to central London which I was great at when I was a little nipper snapper but not <laughs> not so much when I've hit 45 that was like a big mistake that I feel worked in massively in my favor because when I came back from there um, and I phoned Dan and said oh it's not working um, COVID's hit you know, money's drying up, blah, 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 blah. And Dan said, right, we've been trying to get you on board for years. Let's just take a risk now. Let's get you on board. And the rest is history. (laughs) Brilliant. What a great story. Katie, thank you so much for your time today. I was really looking forward to this episode. It's been fabulous having you on the show talking about your your journey and experiences. Because I know it's going to be super valuable for, for people aspiring to senior leadership roles in the future. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. It's been a pleasure.
Thank you so much for joining Katie and myself for another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast, the first of season 10. Before you go, do please check out the Leaders Kit Bag episodes of the podcast. It's the new weekly micro edition of my podcast. Each episode is just five or six minutes long and focuses on one very practical leadership tip or tactic to help you on that journey from good to great as a leader. And because it's a brand new format of the show, I've released the first four episodes at once. So you can go ahead and back to back binge listen if you want to. And once you have listened, please go ahead and share them with your colleagues so that together we can improve the leadership capability in our companies, charities and institutions, because the world needs great leaders now more than ever. Until next time, look after yourself. Look after those you've got the privilege and responsibility to lead. And as always, lead on. Lead on.